Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry from Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's this week's scripture reading and sermon. Our scripture this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 23. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, Greystone friends. It is so good to be with you this morning. So my main takeaway from Chrissy's introduction uh, of me is that I'm really old. (laughs) It has been 25 years since I started here as one of your assistant ministers. And I have been now at Meredith for 13, uh, which has been amazing. We we did have a five-year break there. We went off to Athens, Georgia for five years. Uh, But it is just so wonderful uh, to see you all. In fact, I'm not sure I can preach because I'm just having too much fun looking around and seeing all these wonderful people. All right, well, let's learn, uh, see what we can learn today about faith, love, and following Jesus' example through the experience of fishing, a fun summer activity fitting for a mid-July sermon. As some of you know, I grew up in beautiful Colorado. My family loved camping when I was a young girl. I remember many times sitting on a bank or in a rowboat of a Colorado lake, waiting for Moby Dick to swim by and drag my red and white plastic bob underwater, and if he hit, screaming in delight. My kids, Caitlin and Taylor, Taylor's here today with his wife, Rachel, My kids, Caitlin and Taylor, had very little fishing experience growing up, mostly because their dad's idea of camping is sitting around a fire pit on the patio of the Hilton Hotel. (laughs) Sam loves sleep more than life itself, and the idea of sleeping in a tent on the hard ground, shivering in the cold or sweating in the heat is not his idea of a good time. The closest my kids came to camping was sleeping in a tent in the backyard with me. So when I went through some kind of strange midlife crisis a few years ago, the top of my midlife crisis to-do list was to go fishing, and I wanted to go fly fishing, which I had never done. As an aside, I also got a compound bow and target and a slot car racetrack. I told you, it was a very strange midlife crisis. So for my daughter Caitlin's birthday and to fulfill my wish list, Sam and I took Caitlin and her then 
boyfriend fly fishing in the Georgia mountains on the gorgeous Soak River. Since we were all new to fly fishing, we splurged and hired a company to take us, and that was a good move. There were four of us and two guides, and they did everything for us except hook the fish. I was amazed watching them and talking with them. While I am not one, I do admire real fishermen, especially those who fly fish. Have you seen in person those teensy little flies they tie? They're just amazing, little elements with invisible plastic line that become replicas of the flying critters that fish love to eat. This fly fishing experience was so different from the fishing I grew up with in Colorado. Then I could sit on a bank or in a rowboat for hours and maybe catch one fish. You had to have the patience of Job. That was fishing, but this fly fishing is what I would call catching. We caught many fish during our half day on the river. Of course, it was mostly because our guides told us exactly where to throw our line, since they had likely named all the fish in the river, knew where they nested, and told them, be hungry for the tourists. I wonder if we called this sport catching instead of fishing, if more people would want to go. We had a blast. I caught an 18-inch brown trout, but our daughter's boyfriend caught the fish of the day, a 23-inch rainbow trout. It was a whopper. The task to which Jesus called his disciples was fishing. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Maybe the distinction between fishing and catching is something the church needs to pay attention to in this text. I think the church has been a little too interested in catching and all that implies. Catching says more about the skill of the fisherman, look what I caught, than the beauty of the fish. And it's easy to get drawn into those fish tales of how big and how many. I probably don't need to connect the dots there for you, the church's typical obsession with numbers. And lots of people enjoy fishing just for the beautiful scenery and the experience, even more than the catch. I certainly did as a girl, since I caught so few fish. Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus did not call Peter and Andrew, James and John to be catchers of people, but instead fishermen. The work to which Jesus calls his disciples is not the objectifying work of catching, so we can pride ourselves on the crowds we've enticed, all the baptisms we've numbered. It is instead the work of loving people. What Jesus' call asks of his disciples is to deeply love people. And that is the first thing today that we can learn about faith, love, and following Jesus' example. This first lesson reminds us that we must be careful when the focus is on catching. When the Roman Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity in 333 CE, it changed the world. Christianity, which had been a small, persecuted sect, came out of the shadows of contempt and became the religion of the empire. Without the influence and protection of the state, Christianity would certainly not have flourished as it did. So there are many people who see God's hand directly at work 
God using Constantine's power to spread Christianity to all the world. There is no doubt that the growth of Christianity is directly related to that historic event. But you have to wonder. It may be that as faith grew broad on Constantine's sword, it also grew shallow. That in the process of adding numbers and power and coming out of the shadow of oppression and into the limelight of stardom, we traded a movement of fishing for a movement of catching. Jesus wanted the disciples to be fishermen, which is to say, and here is the key, he wanted them to be as interested in people as they were interested in scales and fins. He wanted them to be as interested in people as they were interested in scales and fins. We are to be invested in the lives of others and to love them as Jesus does. And let's not skim over this as, yes, of course, we are to love others. Let's pause here for a minute and recognize what a high calling this is. Loving others can be very hard work. Not all people are so easy to love. Can you think of a few? I can, but I won't list them all for you here. So our second lesson is to realize that genuinely loving others can be very challenging work. Another fishing story illustrates how it can be hard to love, and at times, especially those closest to us. Do you remember the book and the movie about fly fishing called A River Runs Through It? Both are spectacular. In the story, the McLean brothers, Norman and Paul, grow up in Missoula, Montana with their mother, Clara, and their father, John, a Presbyterian minister. Norman and Paul learn a love of fly fishing for trout in the Blackfoot River from their parents. They learn to cast with a ticking metronome, and they both become accomplished fishermen. Norman and Paul are homeschooled and must adhere to the strict moral and educational code of their father. As they grow older, it becomes clear that Norman, the older brother, is more disciplined, focused, and studious, while Paul, the younger brother, is fun-loving, the more talented fisherman, but wild and difficult. Much of the movie is Norman's angst as he finds it very difficult to love his brother Paul. Fly fishing stands for life in this story. Mastering life requires discipline and grace. It is an art. Norman says... My father was very sure about certain matters pertaining to the universe. To him, all good things, trout as well as faith, come by grace, and grace comes by art, and art does not come easy. One does not easily master the art of anything of beauty or worth, especially God's call to sincerely love others. To Reverend McLean, both fly fishing and religion teach us to use the powers given to us in disciplined ways to enter into the rhythms of loving God and loving others. There is a tragedy in A River Runs Through It in that younger son Paul masters so beautifully the art of fly fishing but cannot seem to master his own life. Like an angry river, Paul's life rages toward ruin, 
And from early in the story, Norman is frustrated by his inability to understand his brother or know how to help him. Norman finds in part, because of his brother's knack at deflecting what he does not want to hear, that he cannot even really talk to Paul about his concern for him that he feels so deeply. That seems to be the way it is sometimes, doesn't it? Sincere love can be so difficult and complicated. It is sometimes easier to speak to strangers than those with whom we live day by day. Why is it so often that it is those with whom we are the closest and love the most that we understand the least and often are least able to help or love in a meaningful way? Will you think about this lesson number two today as you head home and relax this afternoon? Is there a relationship close to you that needs attention? Have you been putting off addressing the issues? Life is short. I encourage you to make that effort and then make it again. If we want to follow Jesus' example, there is a third lesson from our fishing story in Matthew. Clearly, we need to share an interest in Jesus' people. Well, who are Jesus' people? When Jesus called those first few ordinary fishermen to become disciples, he set the stage that played out in the coming few years. The poor, the outcast, the lame, the lost, the least, the last, the helpless. There is no doubt that these are Jesus' people. Jesus was part of a prophetic tradition that saw the role of religion and our individual places in it as supporting and lifting the downtrodden. This was Jesus' work, but he did not do this alone. He gathered around him all who could hear his strange truth. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. He gathered around him those who could hear that God loves all, but especially those who have wandered, that one lost sheep, the prodigal son. He gathered around him those who understood that God's rule is by grace, not by law, by forgiveness, not by judgment, by unconditional love, not by merit. He said, for all who have ears to hear, this peculiar truth, come. Lesson four is that Jesus didn't love others just on his own, but gathered others to do so with him. After spending most of his life in Nazareth, Jesus moved on to Capernaum, where here in our text this morning, Matthew tells of Jesus' strategic change in his work. In Capernaum, Jesus called others, his disciples, to join him, including two pairs of angler brothers, Peter and Andrew and James and John. He appealed to them in the language of their labor, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. Together with these disciples, Jesus loved the people, all the people. Lesson four tells us that loving seems to be work better when we do it together. I encountered a special community that really understood this concept that made a deep impact on my life. In 2015, I took a group of Meredith students on a service trip to Ghana, West Africa. 
Through my Ghanaian travel agent, I connected with an orphanage called Beacon House in the capital of Accra. On this service trip, we led a reading program for the orphanage workers and the children. With Sam's help, we set up an egg-selling business for the orphanage, and we led a small business entrepreneur class for some local men and women. The director of Beacon House, Anna, was one of the most dedicated and inspiring people I have ever met. And I've met a lot of inspiring people in my life. She had all those incredible character traits, insatiable passion for children, perseverance, brave, driven, saw no boundaries, all necessary to succeed in this highly challenging undertaking. Not only was she an impressive woman, but the partnerships she had created were stunning and a strong reason of why she made such a deep impact on so many children. She collaborated with the church in northern Ghana, Accra is in southern Ghana, who spread the word about her orphanage to find needy children. This church would contact Anna when a child was identified Anna would often drive eight to 10 hours to pick up the child and then do the needed paperwork and court time to bring the child back to Beacon House. When Anna traveled, an Islamic community in Accra would provide members to help watch the orphanage children. They had a special needs expert that trained the orphanage workers and they fed the children, read to the children, did whatever was needed. A church in Accra, headed up the orphanage's fundraising, which Anna had little time to do. It was an amazing, impressive interfaith partnership. This combination of help provided a good home for Solo, a special needs boy who had been chained to a tree and left to die. For Abina, who had been almost mauled to death by a stray dog and whose parents could not afford or handle her continual medical needs. And for Akuba and Kojo, 14-year-old twins that suffered from malnutrition, weighing about 45 pounds when they arrived, the weight of a healthy five-year-old. This interfaith community really understood our lesson number four today. Loving others is much more effective when we do it in community. I am grateful for the river of God's grace that beyond all deserving runs through our lives and bears us along throughout all of our days, enabling us to love others and to be faithful. Through all the rejoicing and mourning of our lives, all the grief and gladness runs the river of grace. Sometimes it seems only a trickle, and at other times enough water for Moby Dick. And this deep river of God's love and grace never dries up. So let us share it broadly and generously. I've never concluded a sermon with a poem, but I happened upon one last week that was just too perfect. It's called Goin' Fishin'. Forget the lawnmower, the shovels and rakes. Today we're going fishing for heaven's sakes. I'll stay out there as long as it takes and fish and fish until my pole breaks. Amen. <laughs>